Uh, when I was a child growing up, one of my favorite books was uh, Come Over to My Place by Theo Lesig, better known as Dr. Seuss. Um, I don't know if you remember this book. It was 1966. Um, and so uh, it was right there in the middle of my childhood. It was all about uh, a child who travels to different homes all around the world and the differences in p the way that people live. Um, and for me, that's one of the most interesting parts about traveling. Uh, the insights you get into other cultures um, and their customs, especially when you get invited into somebody's home. And uh, a few years ago, my family and I, we went on a mission trip to Fiji. Uh, Fiji is a little island in the Pacific. Um, it's kind of between American Samoa and Australia, about halfway, more or less. Um, anyway, we, uh, we took this graduation trip with the 12th graders from church. Uh, it was a mission trip and a service trip. And uh, the highlight was a three-day homestay in this little village on a very remote island. Uh, we arrived by boat, um, like little boats with outboard motors, like tiny, tiny. Um, they're big boats in Fiji, by the way. Uh, and in Fiji, every village belongs to a different tribe, and the tribe has a chief. And so when you come into somebody's village, you, you don't just walk in. It's not like walking into Yontville. Um, the, chief, the chief has to welcome you into the village. Um, and there's this elaborate set of cultural ceremonies that you go through in order to make yourself welcome. Um, so for men, uh, well, actually, for everybody, you have to dress respectfully. Uh, for men, that means wearing the lava lava, the, the traditional skirt. Um, so we all wore, all the boys wore skirts, walking in. Uh, and then you can't carry anything in your hands. Uh, you have to show the chief that you're not armed. I'm not carrying any weapons. Uh, you have to approach the village in silence and with a kind of submissive pose. So you're not coming as a war party. And then you have to wait for the elders to invite you into the longhouse. They have a big community longhouse, a bit like a church, I guess, or a community hall. And, uh, and then they sit you down in this very hierarchical order that... The eldest sit at the front and the, the youngest sit at the back and you wait to be served. You wait for the chief to speak to you and there's a carver ceremony, this uh, strange little powdered root um, that they chew up and spit back into a cup and, and then you drink it and it uh, makes your tongue go numb. I think they spit it back into the cup. Traditionally, that's how, maybe they just stir it now, but um, you drink this and your tongue goes numb. And, uh, and that's the kind of the formal way that you're welcomed into the Fijian village. I've got some horrified looks here. Nobody's going to, nobody's going to Fiji, are they? When you go to the tourist version of this, it's sanitarily mixed. Um, <laughs> uh, so there's this very formal and ceremonial welcome. And, and then afterwards, of course, everybody relaxed and we were invited into people's homes um, for a three-day long weekend. And we had a great time. That's a story for another day. I can't blow all my stories at once. Well, part of our Bible story today revolves around hospitality and ceremony and um, what happens when cultural boundaries are broken. Uh, but as happens so often when people have an encounter with Jesus, um, the outcome of the story is not what we expected. So uh, why don't we pray that God would show us the unexpected as we open this story that's sometimes called uh, an anointed woman, uh, a sinful woman anoints Jesus. Why don't we pray? Our Heavenly Father, will you teach us today about what really matters to you? Will you reach into our hearts and consciences and stir them by your Holy Spirit to understand how high and wide and deep is your love for us and your forgiveness in Jesus Christ? We pray this in his name. Amen. Uh, we are in the middle of our sermon series called Encounters with Jesus. It's all about people who met Jesus um, and how they 
changed because of it. Um, now, we're praying that every person who comes to church at the moment uh, won't just see these encounters that other people had with Jesus, but we'll actually have an encounter with Jesus ourselves, uh, and that we'll be changed by the encounter as well. Uh, well, our encounter today takes place in the home of they were the most religious of all the Jews, and they prided themselves on the way they kept the Old Testament laws. They were fastidious um, with the ritual and the ceremonial aspects of the law. Um, they were the religious elite of the day. And this Pharisee, he invites Jesus to dinner in his home. Um, Jesus, by this time, of course, was a well-known speaker. And uh, he'd spoken in synagogues and in public settings, and he was kind of a celebrity, and so you can imagine the kudos of having the speaker in your home for a meal. And uh, I think that's part of why he was invited. Jesus was invited to this guy's house. Maybe, maybe the Pharisee was interested. Maybe he was interested to, to hear more. Um, I'm not sure. Whichever way, Jesus, he accepts the invitation and he goes with the Pharisee. And that's when the story gets interesting. Uh, look at verse 37. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, and so she came there. And normally when we invite people to our homes, um, you get invited, you know, there's an invitation. Um, apparently in their culture it was a little bit different. Uh, when something like this happened, it was a kind of public invitation. So the invited guests, well, they were the ones who were invited to share in the meal, but other people were allowed to come and sort of sit around the edges of the room, um, and they could listen. Sometimes they could even ask questions. Um, apparently, they even begged for food from time to time. The room might have been an, a closed room or an open room like a patio. And that's why it wasn't unusual for this woman to come to the Pharisee's house. But what she did next, well, that was unusual. Um, verse 37 again. This woman who lived a sinful life, she heard that Jesus was eating there. So she came with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind Jesus at his feet, Weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair. She kissed them and poured perfume on them. The woman had come with a gift for Jesus. That's, that's what this jar of expensive perfume was, I think. Uh, she would have used that to anoint his head and his hands. Uh, it's a way of honoring the person that you do that to. But when she sees Jesus, when she sees him, she's overcome with emotion. As she begins to cry, verse 38, and her tears fall over Jesus' feet. Uh, you might be wondering how her tears fall on Jesus' feet. Well, they weren't sitting at chairs like we would normally sit at chairs. Uh, the way they used to do it is the table would be lowered in the middle and, and they would lean on their arm and their legs were out behind. I wasn't planning to do a demonstration, but um, <laughs> you have an idea now. Should have practiced my yoga more. So this woman, right, she's behind Jesus and, and she cries so much that his feet are wet with her tears. Um, the, the original language uses the word for rain shower. This is like raining on his feet. And uh, she's a mess. If you know that expression, ugly cry, she's, she's doing an ugly cry. Um, and I imagine every single person in that room would have noticed the scene that she was creating. And it gets worse. Uh, Next, she used her hair to wipe Jesus' feet dry. Uh, traditionally, Jewish women, they keep their hair covered in public. Uh, they only show their hair to their husbands. It's the same to this day for the, for the very um, conservative Jews. And yet here is this woman, this sinner, and she's, she's letting down her hair in a room full of men. 
And she uses it like a towel to wipe Jesus' feet dry. Perhaps it says something about the sin that she was known for. Traditionally, she's been understood to be a prostitute. Um, But Luke doesn't include that detail. Whatever her sin was, in this moment, she's exposed, as it were, before Jesus. Um, She's undignified. You know, her face is puffy with tears, and she kisses Jesus' feet again and again. It's nothing proud about that moment, is it? She is the picture of humility and abject, I guess, I don't even know the word, shouldn't ad lib. And so the question is, why? Right? Why why does she have this reaction to Jesus? Um, She's not just like the Beatles fans um, who who were so excited to see John, Paul, and um, Ringo, and George, and my mom she got caught out in 1964. Um, the Beatles, as part of their tour, came to Australia. She was, I think, in the 10th grade, and she never skipped school, but apparently on this day, she skipped school, and they went out to see the Beatles. They waited outside the hotel, and uh, she and her friends in their school uniforms ended up on the front page of the Sydney Morning Herald newspaper. <laughs> um, she, <laughs> she, she caught some heat for that, I can tell you. Um, Is that what this woman was doing? Was she just a groupie for Jesus? Well, the rest of the story tells us that her emotion came from a much deeper place. Um, And we'll get to that in a minute. The host of the party, he is mortified. Um, It's not just that his party's been interrupted, but it was the kind of person who caused the interruption. Um, Verse 39, when the Pharisee who'd invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet... He would know who's touching him and, and what kind of woman she is. She's a, she's a sinner. The Pharisee is horrified. He's revulsed at the idea of this woman touching Jesus because of her reputation as a sinner. You see, the, the Pharisees, they deliberately separated themselves from anything that is um, impure, anything that might cause them to be ceremonially impure before God. Um, literally, the name Pharisee means um, somebody who is separated what Pharisee means. And so he can't imagine why a religious leader like Jesus would allow himself to come so close to somebody known for their sin. In fact, he wonders if Jesus could even profit at all because he doesn't seem to know what kind of woman she is. Jesus, he knows what the Pharisee is thinking. Have a look at verse 40. Tells him a little parable to help him understand. Verse 40, Jesus said to him, Simon, I've got something to tell you. Simon says, tell me, teacher, Two people owed money to a certain money lender, and one of them owed 500 denarii, and the other 50. Neither of them had money to pay him back. And so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? A denarius, that was the pay for a day worker, a, day, a day's labor of work, um, or a soldier, that was the standard day pay. And so Jesus asked Simon to imagine... Um, this scenario where two people owe huge amounts of money. One owes almost two years' worth of wages. The other one owes two months' worth of wages. And neither of them are in a position to pay it off. And back in those days, a person could be jailed until they paid off their debt. I'm not quite sure how they pay off their debt from jail. Uh, They could also be sold into slavery. Or they could choose to sell their children into slavery, which is terrible. It still happens around the world today. Jesus wants us to imagine being on the verge of financial ruin and suddenly having your debt cancelled. Um, can you imagine? And most of us would love to see our debts cancelled, even if we can service the debt. But um, 
But imagine being on the brink of foreclosure. Imagine being on the brink of losing your home, on the brink of, on the brink of bankruptcy, when suddenly you receive news that the full amount has been paid. Can you imagine the relief? Feel like a second chance at life, I think, when you, when you figured that it was, you know, you were ruined. Well, of course, Jesus' parable, it's not about being fi- forgiven from financial debt. It's actually an illustration about sin and what it means to be forgiven from our debt of sin. And because the sin, sin, after all, is one of the predominant themes of this passage so far. Look, the woman who cried on Jesus' feet, she's a sinner, isn't she? And the Pharisee, well, he's somebody who never really sins, or so he thinks. But he's quick to judge the woman for her sin. And so we're left wondering who is the bigger sinner out of the two of them. And to answer that question, we need to understand what sin is. Um, and so I've got two definitions for sin. The first one is this. Sin is, it's partly about what we do. It's partly about what we do. Um, take the woman in our passage, for example. She lived a lifestyle that goes against the biblical standard for morality. Um, so the Bible condemns sex outside of the context of marriage. She was probably a prostitute or an adulteress. Ergo, she is a sinner. And uh, the Bible contains lists of things that we can do, and if we do them, we're considered a sinner. Are there sins? But the heart of sin is something much deeper than just doing things that God said we shouldn't do. And so here's the second definition. Sin is ultimately about the way that we treat God. Sin is ultimately about the way that we treat God. And the reason is this. Our world has a creator who who cares about us. Most people live lives as if this earth is all there is. And, uh, And if that's how you understand the world, then you might just think of sins as the things that we do to other people, are things that hurt other people. But if there is a God, then we need to think about how our actions affect our relationship with God. Um, so if a parent says to their child, um, I don't want you to do something, it's for your good, and then the child goes ahead and does it, then it damages that relationship between the child and the parent, doesn't it? You know, maybe, maybe it doesn't hurt the child that much, but it kind of breaks down trust. Well, when we do what God says isn't good for us to do, it damages our relationship with Him. And the reality is that most people don't listen to God anyway <laughs> in the first place. They don't want God in their life. They don't want anything to do with God. They, they don't try to honor God or give Him any credit for the good things in their life. They, they just want to get on with life without God. They just want to do it their way. But God is there. God is there and one day we'll meet Him. And, and on that day we'll have to face up to the things, uh, face up to the way that we've treated Him. Um, And I'm going to say more about this in a couple of weeks' time uh, as we finish this series. But according to Jesus' parable, on that day that we meet God, it's going to be like it's going to be like facing up to a huge debt. It'd be like having a huge debt on that day, or being caught in adultery like the woman. Uh, There will be a debt that we owe, and there'll be no way that we could ever pay it. There's no way we could pay it. And on that day, we'll understand the enormity. Of our sin. Well, Simon doesn't seem to understand that at all. I mean, he doesn't seem to understand the debt that he owes to God. Um, He doesn't understand the weight of his sin. In fact, it feels like he doesn't recognize his sin at all. I think if you ask Simon, he would probably say that he didn't have a sin problem at all. Um, And it's interesting, um, when you compare him with the Apostle Paul, um, the Apostle Paul, before he met Jesus, um, he was a Pharisee, just like Simon. And uh, 
in the book of Philippians, Paul lists all of the reasons why he thinks he doesn't have a sin problem. He says, you know, I have this heritage, the family that I was born into. I, I was, did all these religious ceremonies when I was a kid. And as an adult, I, I've kept all of the religious laws that I can think of. So much so that Paul says of himself, he says, he believed he was faultless when it came to righteousness based on the law. Can you imagine that? I'm faultless. I've not sinned. Not today, not last week, not last year, not in the last decade. I've never done anything wrong. Can you imagine the bravado in saying that? But when Paul, the Apostle Paul, came face to face with Jesus, he had this moment of recognition about sin. And uh, so he calls himself the worst of sinners in 1 Timothy 1.15. Can you imagine that? Paul, who wrote half of the New Testament, this guy who founded probably two-thirds of the churches that, that ended up reaching the world, this super apostle, he calls himself the worst of sinners. If that's what he calls himself, what do you and I call ourselves? Jesus, he wants us to recognize our sin. He wants us to recognize our sin. But then, he wants us to know how amazing it is to be forgiven from our sin. He wants us to know the relief of having that sin wiped away, that debt cancelled, forgiven, set free. Jesus asked Simon, out of those two debtors, you know, the one who owed a lot and the one who owed a little, which one will love him more? And Simon replies, I love this, he says, I suppose, he says, I suppose, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. When we understand our great sin, uh, then we understand Jesus' forgiveness. Uh, when we understand our great sin and when we understand Jesus' forgiveness, then it won't it cause us to love Jesus more? Won't it cause us to have a reaction of just gratitude and thankfulness? Well, the sinful woman, she demonstrated her great love with the way that she treated Jesus. Uh, her emotions poured out as tears and kisses and acts of gratitude to Jesus. But what about Simon? Have a look at verse 44. And Jesus, he turned to the woman. I love this. He talks to her, but he talks about Simon. Oh, he talks to Simon, but he's looking at her. He says to Simon, do you see this woman? Actually, I think Simon probably wouldn't even look at a woman like that. She's just a sinner. She's not even a person. Do you see her? Jesus saw people like that. Jesus sees sinners, but he sees people that he loves. That was not the point. He says, he says do you see this woman? He says, I, I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. See, Simon doesn't really show anything towards Jesus. Um, even from a cultural point of view, Jesus, uh, Simon didn't honor Jesus in a way that a host would normally honor a guest in their home, especially somebody as distinguished as a rabbi. Normally, the host would provide water and, and a servant, and they would wash the feet of the guest. He would greet them with a kiss. He would perhaps pour oil on their head, something like olive oil. Well, she poured expensive perfume. Simon did none of those things. He doesn't honor Jesus he probably wanted the honor for him himself, right? The honor of having this celebrity in his home. But the woman, she honors Jesus 
where Simon failed. She honors Jesus with grateful kisses and tears because she knows that she owes him everything. Her actions speak louder than words. Did you notice she never says a word in this entire passage? She doesn't need to. Her actions show her response to Jesus. And so when we think about our response to Jesus, the passage leaves us to consider, are we like the woman or are we like Simon the Pharisee? Which one are we like? Have you understood the weight of your sin? Have you understood the relief of God's forgiveness, His great mercy poured out upon you in a way that it brings you to tears, in a way that it draws out deep emotion, in a way that it makes you respond with love and gratitude to the one who purchased your forgiveness? By his death on the cross. See, in verse 47, Jesus says, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. She shows that she knows she's been forgiven. And our love for Jesus tells us whether we've understood the mercy of God. And if that mercy of God is something you haven't experienced yet, if, if you haven't experienced it yet, then you're here in the right place at church. And this is exactly the place to keep learning about God's loving mercy towards each of us and uh, his forgiveness and the hope that we can know when we know Jesus. Um, I want to finish by thinking about Simon. Um, I like to think that Simon walked away that day a little bit rattled, a little bit rattled. You know, I think he was probably challenged, maybe intrigued, but you know, this sinful woman, this disreputable person, she seems to have understood something that he didn't get. I suspect he probably walked away and was profoundly changed. I wonder if you are too. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this story that reminds us of your great love. As uh, John Newton said, I'm a great sinner, but I have a great Savior in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, that no matter what we do, no matter all of the ways that we've sinned, when we come to you, you offer forgiveness. Father, help us to come with genuine genuine heartfelt thanks and repentance help us to love you and to respond to you not just with not just with words but with our whole body and our whole lives and we just pray this in jesus name and for his glory amen Amen.